It's great to see you this evening and to have had the opportunity to be with you again, very especially because it is the first Sunday of a new year and we want to set our sail, as it were, as we walk into 2018 in the purpose of God, pursuing Him. And to that end, this evening I want to speak to you about wisdom. I'm going to speak to you about some biblical role models of outstanding wisdom. That's my purpose, and in a few moments I'm going to turn your attention to a particular part of the Word of God. But let me say some things by way of introduction. Some people wonder what the difference is between knowledge and wisdom. And I'm told that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that you shouldn't put it in a fruit salad. (laughs) Applying the information that you know is one of the ways in which wisdom is defined, but that's not my primary concern this evening. Listen to these words. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. When all Israel heard the verdict, they held the king in awe. Imagine a political leader, a sovereign, who the whole nation holds in awe. You see, I hear a lot said about particular leaders and politicians today, and people treat them with little regard or respect because they're not impressed with the wisdom that they have. But when a leader speaks with wisdom, the whole nation held them in awe. Says of Solomon in 1 Kings 4.34, men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. Sent by all the kings of the world. Kings of every other nation heard about a man who had wisdom and they sent their best men to go and get wisdom from him. The queen of Sheba was one of those who famously came to Solomon This is what she said. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. A queen traveled a great distance at incredible expense 
And she recognized the amazing privilege of hearing someone who had wisdom. And she thought of those who had the honor of constantly being in his presence and heard that wisdom dispensed continually. We talk a lot about common sense, but the most common thing about it is it's not very common. Wisdom is one of the greatest needs that our society has. The scripture tells us above everything else to get wisdom. We're told the whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear his wisdom. Listen to this before we read some verses together. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 19. Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Now that's staggering. Ten rulers who have all sorts of people subject to them, ready to do their bidding, with all of the resources that the rulers might have, are less powerful than one man with wisdom. My purpose in saying that to you by way of introduction to you tonight, because what I'm going to look at is a sort of unusual passage, and in spite of the novelty of it, I don't want you to miss the point. You need wisdom. The world needs wisdom. People are desperately waiting on wisdom. And yet there's apparently an opportunity for the people of God to speak with wisdom, to get wisdom from God, to act with wisdom. And I want to urge you to think this year about pursuing wisdom because others need it. Because people who hear it are privileged. Because historically we know people have traveled great distances to get counsel, direction, advice, wisdom. Because it is so uncommon. And wisdom gives you greater power than ten rulers. If you have a Bible and you want to turn with me, I'm going to read from Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, and I'm going to read from verse 24 through to the end of verse 28. And here, 
and some biblical role models on outstanding wisdom. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they make, they store up their food in the summer. Conies are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king. Yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. I want to talk to you about an ant, a coney, a locust, and a lizard. I want to ask you to think this year about modeling your life in terms of their extreme wisdom. Because this writer picks relatively insignificant, unnoticeable creatures of which there are millions, and says they are extremely wise. Why does he draw your attention to their wisdom? Why is it the Holy Spirit wants to record this and draw your attention to it? Because there's something to learn from what they do and the wisdom that they have that you should be modeling your life on. An ant is a creature of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. What's it telling us? Here's this tiny little thing that you can crush between your fingers. You can wipe out a whole pile of ants with one stomp of your foot and a bit of a, I don't know what you call that, but you know what I mean, a sort of slush on the bottom. You've got a whole pile, you've got hundreds in that moment. Little bit of ant powder, you've taken a whole lot out. In many ways insignificant, yet the writer's saying, if you would think about the wisdom they demonstrate, you could learn an incredible lesson from them. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Ants are not dumb enough to live simply for the moment. There's lots of people who are so dumb that all they do is live for the moment. There are people who celebrate the fact that they take no thought of the future in any significant or meaningful way, but they live their lives wholly and completely for the moments that they're in. An ant 
is giving thought not only to the immediacy of its situation, but to a future, and it's making preparation for a future. An ant gives thought to seasons. It recognizes seasons. So an ant stores up its food in the summer. When food is plenteous, when there's lots of it about, the ant recognizes there's a time coming. It's not going to be exactly like this. There's a time coming when food will be more scarce, where it will be more difficult to forage for it. In that time, we don't want to be out trying to find something that's really hard to locate, to track down, or to get a hold of. We want to have made provision for that time. We want to have prepared ourselves for the future So we're recognizing that this season is different than another season. The Bible says a great deal to us about seasons and the importance of seasons. Every moment of life, every period of time in life is not the same. There are seasons. Apart from the natural seasons throughout 2018, There will be seasons of life for you this year. Paul writes to Timothy and he tells him when he's preaching, be instant in season and out of season. What does that mean? Your preaching won't always receive the same response. You'll be in a different situation of fruitfulness. But whether or not you're in a situation of harvest and fruitfulness or not, you preach with the same integrity, with the same passion, with the same conviction. But we're recognizing there's a distinction. And if you don't recognize the distinction in season, then you find it very difficult to manage your expectations. You live with great sense of disappointment at times because you're not seeing what you expected to see. The man in Psalm chapter 1 who doesn't stand in the way of the sinner or sit in the seat of the scoffer or take his counsel from the ungodly but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water who brings forth its fruit in season. He doesn't bring fruit out of season. He brings forth fruit in season. He's not withered up and dry, but he's not bearing fruit out of season. You bear fruit in season. The ant has the wisdom to recognize the difference in seasons. And you shouldn't expect the same results, the same success, the same significance, the same response at every season of life. You will be going through seasons in this year. If you can recognize them, it will help you to manage your expectations significantly. But to the primary point, the ant is making provision for its future. Not only is it not living for the moment, not only is it recognizing a season, but it's living with an expected future and it's making provision for that. It's storing up food in the summer. 
you are expected by God to live with an expected future and to make provision for it. It's explicitly expressed by Jesus in this way in Matthew chapter 6. He says, do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves can break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Because this isn't it. However good 2018 is, however wonderful this year for you is, this isn't it. This is not what we're living for. So we're told about the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11 who had no continuing or abiding city. They lived in tents because they were looking for another country. Because they recognized they had a different future and that they were giving their life into that future. Jesus tells a story about a man who makes provision for his material future. He has a great harvest. His barns are full. So he builds larger barns and he makes provision for a material future, but he made no provision for his spiritual future. The Word of God says, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. What are you living for this year? Will you go to the ant and consider its extreme wisdom? What's the extreme wisdom? The simplicity of it is incredible. It stores up its food in the summer. And then the writer talks about the coney that is a creature of little power. And some of your different translations will describe it in other ways. But a coney essentially is a rabbit-like. It's a, apparently an overgrown guinea pig type of creature. Whatever the particular creature is in rock badger or hyrax is the way it's most uh, often described. It lives in crags up a height on rocks. That's its wisdom. According to the scripture, that's extreme wisdom for a creature of little power. Why? Because this overgrown guinea pig isn't well able to fight against predators. It's not going to take on the eagle terribly well. If a predatory animal comes in search of it, it's not going to win the battle. In fact, it has very little hope of winning a battle against almost anything. But apparently, if you hide in the crags of a rock and take refuge there, 
you don't need to worry about having to fight. Because the crag of the rock protects you. That's extreme wisdom we're meant to consider. Why? So that we're not dumb enough to think we can take on any fight that ever comes at us and win it. Because we're weak and we're foolish. I know that because he chose the weak and the foolish things to confound the wise. And you can't win every fight. And you have enemies. And you have an enemy of your soul who is committed to your destruction. And you're meant to do something about that. Psalm 104 and verse 18 says, The crags are a refuge for the conies. What a great phrase. What was the psalmist doing? He was reminding us of something he talked a lot about. I mentioned it this morning. 42 times the psalmist talks about our refuge. Why do you need a refuge? Because you're not good enough to win every fight. You're not actually able to handle some of the battles that are going to come your way. And if you get filled with a sense of your own significance beyond what you're supposed to have and fail to go to the rock that is higher than you and to find refuge there. That's the biblical position that we're meant to adopt. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The Lord is my refuge and He is my strong tower. What does that mean? He's the place I run to to hide. You can be as macho as you like, guys. But sometimes what you need to do this year is run and hide. A coney is a, a creature of little strength, little power. But we're meant to consider its extreme wisdom. What is its extreme wisdom? It hides in the crags of the rock. It can't fight every battle. It's not able to manage some of its predators. But it understands that when it goes into the crags of the rock, it's safe, it's secure. It's in a relatively impregnable place. Listen, whatever battle you face this year, if you go to the rock that is higher than you, if you go to Christ as your refuge, if you go to Him as your refuge and strength, you will come out victorious. Because your enemy has to get through Him in order to get you. Is your enemy, do you any, any of you have an enemy that's able to take him on and win? No. There isn't an enemy anywhere who is able to take him on and win. He is our crag in the rock, the cleft in the rock. He is our refuge. He's the place where we're meant to run and hide. So when I think about a rock badger, a coney, an overgrown guinea pig, it's a creature of little power, but it should remind me at times I'm not all that. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. 
But I'm going to understand that in context of the whole of the Scripture. And I'm going to take the wisdom of the Coney. And I'm going to hide in him. And I'm not going to try to fight, try to fight battles I'm not meant to fight. I'm not going to think I'm going to show them. I'll happily run into him and hide. That's why the psalmist so often talks about him as a refuge. Some of you are fighting battles you shouldn't be fighting. Some of you are worn out. You're worn down. You're discouraged. And you feel like you're losing. Because you are. And you need to run into him. And you need to let him do the fighting for you. You don't ever have to clear your own name. He's well able to do that for you. You don't have to vindicate yourself. He'll vindicate you. He's the judge. He'll decide between me and anybody else. So I can defend myself as much as I like. But if he says I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And if somebody else says I'm wrong and he says I'm right, I'm right. I'll just leave it with him. The locust has no king, yet they advance together in ranks. The locust has no king, yet they advance together in ranks. In Joel chapter 2, in verse 7 and 8, there's a description of the locust. I want to read it to you. This is what it says. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking rank. Let me read that to you again. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking rank. Listen again to what one of the wisest men who ever lived said. The locust has no king, but they march or advance together in ranks. How is it that a creature that has no leader, no commander, no hierarchical structure, no sense of government, how is it that a creature of that nature is able to advance in ranks. You see, a locust by itself isn't a particular problem. 
You could kill half a dozen locusts in your hand without any problem. They're not going to decimate anything. The problem of the locusts is that they advance in ranks. They advance together like warriors. They scale walls. There is no obstacle that is too much for locusts. And they don't jostle each other. They're not vying for for position. They're not fighting one another. There's no egos involved with the locust. Hey, that's, that's my lane. Get out. They're advancing together, not swerving from their direction. Not distracted, not taken off course by one thing and another, straight ahead. They plunge through defenses. You can't stop them. Why? They've got a great leader. They've got a great king. No. That's what we celebrate, isn't it? History is filled with heroes who led the people in battle, in victory, who made rousing speeches, who galvanized people together. And through the great leader, through the galvanizing speech, through the courage of the man who stepped out to face the opposition, the rest fell in line behind him. That's what makes the locust so wise. No leader, no king. Yet they've got the capacity to work together to a common end. No politics, no fighting, no jostling, no ego. Now there's wisdom. Apparently, with the same power that conquered the grave living in us, What might we do if we would advance together in ranks without fighting for position, without trying to establish who's leading here, without trying to get the credit for the direction that we're going in? Do you think the writer is trying to communicate something to the people of God about the possibilities of overcoming any obstacle, of breaking through any defense? This year, it's 39 years I'll have been a Christian. In that 39 years, I've listened to lots of Christians talk about what we can't do, how weak and how insignificant we are, how everybody's got more strength and we'll never get into that situation. It won't be possible to do that and it'll never get there and we won't be able to do this and we won't be able to do that. So we didn't. Then, I can't tell you, in 39 years, the jostling I've seen the distractions swerving off course, the fighting for position in the ranks, the arguing together over the direction. Meanwhile, the enemy sits back and laughs. Can you imagine in 2018 if we would learn a lesson from the locust who has no king? 
yet is able to advance in ranks because they recognize together we can do something that is unstoppable. And you know the record of Scripture describes times when swarms of locusts advanced and the greatest superpowers in the world at that time were totally incapable of stopping them. No great leader, no great speeches, no hyped up for the moment, just people recognizing, working together, we can do so much. My prayer for Dundonald Elam in 2018 is that we will not jostle for position. We will not fight for a sense of importance. We will not be concerned about who gets the credit for what, but that we'll recognize we have a common enemy. We are called to be a light in the darkness, and we need to learn something from a thing as apparently insignificant as a locust because it has extreme wisdom. Finally, the writer says, the lizard can be caught with the hand. Some of you might have versions of the Bible that describe it as a spider. Virtually all of the commentators are agreed that that's a really bad rendering and understanding. The lizard can be caught with the hand. Yet it gets into king's palaces. How is that? Where are the best guarded institutions in the world? Where are the most fortified? Where's the greatest police personal protection? Where's the greatest army focus on protecting buildings? The buildings of sovereigns. King's palaces are the most guarded buildings in the world. And a little lizard that you can catch in your hand is still found in the most guarded, most protected, most impossible buildings to penetrate. Recently I picked up a South African guy at Heathrow Airport and he'd never been to London before and we had a couple of hours before we had to go on, and so I drove him into central London and went to drive around Buckingham Palace and some of the other sites, and it's a little while since I've been there, and you can't just drive around the roundabout outside anymore because it's not a roundabout because they don't want anybody to come bursting through with vehicles. So they've changed the whole layout in front of Buckingham Palace and... I just stopped on some treble red lines or something, threw him out of the car and drove miles around the city and came back and picked him up about seven hours later. But uh, that was enough of his problems. It's incredible protection that they wanted to make of Buckingham Palace. You try getting in the gate, Davy. You know, you change them jeans, mate. I've got a very nice tie and hanky I can lend you <laughs> that might give you some greater hope. They're just not about to let you go racing through. But a lizard that you can catch with your hand, it's found in king's palaces. 
What's the point? Where is it God could take you to? If you would learn the wisdom of the lizard. What situation is it impossible for God to get you into? Is there anybody he can't bring you before? Is there anywhere that's outside the possibility of him bringing you into if you would learn? What's to learn? When's the last time you saw lizards picketing and protesting and writing petitions because they feel they're hard done to? I've had the privilege of traveling all around the world, and unfortunately that meant I've shared several rooms with lizards. I had no wish to. I didn't feel they had any right to be there. And to be honest, they didn't make a lot of fuss about it. One minute they weren't there, and then they were. They didn't come in with the trumpets blasting. I didn't hear a loud sound coming over the hills. There wasn't a band out in front. One minute it wasn't there, the next it was. A lizard doesn't draw a great deal of attention to itself. I don't know if you noticed that. Any of you have ever been in a warm country? Suddenly here's this thing silently moving. Its speed is what draws your attention to it more than anything else. There's some things that God wants to do with you, places that he wants to take you, that's not about making a whole song and dance. It's not about jumping up and down and complaining about how badly treated Christians are. If you would just quietly walk with him, he's got the capacity to take you in there. If you wouldn't draw a whole lot of attention to yourself and make people wonder what do those wackos want, that's not always wise. Just saying. Here's what they said about Jesus prophetically and in his life and ministry. It's recorded that he fulfilled this. He will not shout or cry out in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break nor a smoldering flax he will not snuff out. He won't shout or cry out. Jesus didn't run around everywhere saying, look at me. Have you ever wondered why he spent so much time saying, don't tell anyone you're healed. Because he understood if people recognized too early, they were going to rise up against him and stand and oppose him. So in John 7, they ask, you know, are you going to come to the feast? He says, no. You can go anytime, but it's not right for me to go. But he does slip quietly in 
unnoticed and unobserved. How often did he do that? The purpose of God expressed in Psalm 113, it's a psalm some of you will know, I absolutely love. Verse 4 says, Who is like the Lord our God, who sits enthroned on high? He stoops down to look at the heavens and the earth. He lifts the needy from the dust and the poor or the broken from the ash heap. And he sits them with princes, even the princes of their people. This is not a spiritual elevation. This is a God who is committed to stooping down, to lifting the broken, the marginalized, the hurting. Those who live on the dunghills of life, those who have been forgotten about by society. We have a God who is committed to stooping down, lifting them up and sitting them with princes, even the princes of their people. How can God bring people out of the dunghill before the princes of their people and have them sit with them? Very easily. The lizard can be caught with a hand, yet it's found in kings' palaces. God is able to do incredible things if we'll cooperate with him. But if we start trying to fight like the world fights, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Apparently they are mighty in God to pulling down strongholds, but they're not carnal. So why am I being asked to fill in petitions? Why am I doing it the same way everybody else is doing it? Why am I fighting the same sort of battles that everybody else is? Well, they don't treat the Muslims like that. No, of course they don't. We're Christians. The world's going to hate us. We're going to be treated differently. They hated him, they'll hate you. Don't cry about it. Rejoice. That's what the early church did. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. I don't want to be part of a crying church. I don't want to be part of a whinging, complaining people. The world don't treat us fairly. We were told they wouldn't treat us fairly. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. But we're not fighting like they fight. In 2018, I'm saying the world needs wisdom. And if you will get wisdom, I am promising you, people will come looking for your help. If you have wisdom, people will ask you to speak into their life. People will give you a right of access you don't understand how you ever got because you have wisdom from God. Now listen, there's all sorts of ways to get that wisdom. My primary point to you tonight is to urge you to pursue wisdom. But I wanted to do it out of a particular piece of peculiar scripture that asks you to think about some weird role models who have extreme wisdom. An ant, a coney a locust and a lizard. I pray God he will make you wise in this year and you will see great things done in his name. Amen.